0: Disenfranchised from everything Well, I fall up and I fall down An American loser the day I was born
1: Well, hey there, folks. It's K.P. Burke. The show's called American Loser. My a dad is in the building. Say hi, Larry. Hey, hey Larry. How are you? Uh, <laughs> you're one of your final appearances from South Beach today, right? Yeah, we're getting close to uh, moving north. And by moving north, he means back to the center of the universe. Uh, the good state of new jersey guys uh you don't know, already know the deal on the show if you haven't listened to an episode before i'm happy to have you on board here the show's called american loser we're covering the weird stories from american history it is the podcast that puts the spotlight firmly on second place we are brought to you by the good folks over at a shared universe podcast studio mike and ming take great care of us ming actually popped in earlier that was kind of weird he just yeah uh,
2: really the man behind the curtain for sure that Terry was ki- that was kind of strange to see that was a bit weird
1: out of nowhere, your boss is checking in on you, man. That was a strange one for that. You got audited like a teacher
0: when the, the, the principal comes That's in to observe. Right. Do you, right. Honestly, though, in the beginning, do you know how weird it was to have him sit in on podcasts when I would record it? It was like, oh, God, why do I feel like being judged? I know I'm not, but I totally am. <laughs> <laughs> and a regular listener should know the voice. Oh, man. <laughs> if you don't know by now, what the hell? Come on, Sunquist family. You should know okay. better.
2: Yeah, if you don't know by now, you bet you got some catching up to do. Give him an intro, Lawrence Patrick. You don't get to intro him too often. Who? The one, the only, the Kahuna. Hey! The that
0: was awesome. I'm very proud of you. <laughs>
2: there you go. That was awesome. We got something good going on. Often imitated, them. but never equaled. The Kahuna <laughs> is in the house.
0: Always have pleasure to be here, Jens. So, what's the topic for today?
1: Well, this one's a doozy because, again, the the podcast puts the spotlight firmly on second place. These are things that are often forgotten about in American history. Um, I'll tell you guys what. If you listen to the episode that we did recently on uh, Elbridge Gerry, who is a founding father of sorts that uh, certainly should be better remembered than what he is. uh, That's a great episode there. We talk about a little bit about this strange little affair kind of a thing that gets buried in the history books that really in the big scheme of things is a huge reason why uh, the country is what it is today. So with that sort of a buildup, guys, I'll say uh, Britain, France, America must be a world war, right? Nope. Uh, Is it the French and Indian War? No. Uh, Well, what war was it then, you might be asking? Well, guys, it's barely a war at all, depending on who you ask. It's it's actually I'm not even kidding. It's known as the uh, the quasi war.
0: The quasi
2: war. like quasi evil like dr evil (laughs)
0: yeah
2: i found some interesting uh subtitles to that the undeclared war with france or the pirate wars or the half war it was the war that was never declared a war and we're not talking about korea we're talking about something that was a little further back than that it
1: was a global police action Um. (laughs) yeah (laughs) But no, it's interesting, man. Uh, And again, we say quasi war. Well, it's not a real war, you know, that kind of thing. Well, people are going to die. Prisoners are going to get taken. Money will be lost. Treaties will be signed. And for just over two years, there will be written legal documents from France, England, Spain, and a very, very young United States about what will become known as today's topic, the quasi war or quasi war, depending on how we're dumb kids from Jersey. All right. Don't give me a hard time on pronunciations. So set the stage. Where is this taking place? So uh, the the preamble, if you will, that's what we're going to call it from now on. Uh, a little constitution humor there for you, folks. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, France bailed us out big time in the American Revolution. And a lot of times you'll hear people not want to give them all the credit because, well, first off, they don't deserve all the credit. They deserve some of it. But that being said, the United States was able to put together enough efforts and victories during the American Revolution, to show the final, uh, to get the French. Again, this is true. The final French monarchy. We're going to loosely cover that today. That. Yeah. So the final French monarch uh, will actually put the French crown behind backing the United States. So uh, they're going to assist with naval blockades. There will be some troops on the ground. There will be some guys coming over, a, a certain Marquis de Lafayette
2: LP. Huh? There you go. You're Listen always a fan of him. Listen to that boy pronouncing those French names. Oh, it's
1: good. It's good. I, uh, I can enunciate perfectly. I have no clue what I'm saying. Remember that.
2: There you go. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, they're also going to lo- the biggest thing from France was boatloads of money were going to be coming through. That was a huge portion here. And as we know from the American Revolution, being an investor on the ground floor doesn't always work out for everyone involved, all right? You know, you might – it's not Bitcoin necessarily, all right? It's not always going to work out perfectly, and you have to suffer through some of the slumps in order to get to the profitable part. Mm -hmm. And uh, it doesn't really work out for everybody involved here. France lent us a ton of money, and they felt good about helping out a potentially highly profitable new country that could thrive as it simultaneously hurts their longtime nemesis of England. So – Many favorable opinions on France being shared by such American icons as people. didn't. I think a lot of people knew this, Dad, but uh, good old Benji Franklin. uh, He was a big fan of uh, not just the French women, but France in general. And uh, our boy, uh, Tommy Jeffs, he was big on uh, the, you know, very pro Francois, if you will.
2: Yeah, many of our uh, early founding fathers, if you will, really took heart with uh, some of the French philosophers of the time. And this whole this. Democracy idea and everything else. That uh, yeah, these guys got the got some got some things going on, and a lot of that kind of flowed into uh, American ideals as well. Um, meanwhile, France is under a monarchy, just as um, the at that time their mother country, England, is still under a monarchy. But uh, that's uh, you know the the whole idea of uh, democratic uh, republics was uh, is pretty solid in uh, a lot of people's minds. For the times they are a changing. There you <laughs> go.
1: So,
0: oh my gosh!
1: It's uh, it is weird. It's all going to happen right here now. Uh, it's right in front of us.
0: That's and, like uh, singing. That was pretty weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I do a decent
2: Bob Dylan impression. So. Uh we'll but again, yeah, it's a one man's you. opinion. Anyhow. <laughs>
1: Well, uh, someday we'll we'll get you guys out there. Uh, next week's topic uh, for American Loser Lawrence Patrick Burke.
0: <laughs> <laughs> After that, we should cover a uh, famous French philosopher, Christian Cordez.
1: Christian Cordes, Uh He was uh, inspired by the works of Rousseau. You're correct.
0: Yeah, um, Rousseau Henson. Uh... <laughs> Henson.
1: <laughs> That's inside yeah. baseball for the regular fans. I hope you guys appreciated that. <laughs> Oh, man it's uh it's a cool thing though, so Rousseau's very popular. he's also popular in the same way that um uh Hobbes and Locke are popular and uh, again, by the way that that's calvin and Hobbes the
2: uh the, the <laughs> no, iconic same, same guys. comic
1: strip that, I swear to God that is what they're basing it off of it It's Calvin and Hobbes it's John calvin and uh I think it's John Hobbes as well uh um, Locke. Oh, so it's
0: not Hobbes and Shaw from Fast and Furious.
1: Correct. So that okay. particular comic strip is based off of the two dueling philosophy ideas. That's why it gets super deep sometimes. Gotcha. Um, but philosophy's on the rise. Your people are reading this stuff. And, uh, you know, Benji Franklin, he's an educated guy. Thomas Jefferson, probably one of the most brilliant men in America. France is in a very good place to have their debts repaid to them by the United States because they're making so much money here and the gratitude of this new nation for hopefully centuries to come. So the question you might be asking yourselves, guys, when did it go to shit? <laughs> so after uh, Father Washington left the office of the presidency, uh, we got a new president. Uh, who, I'll tell you what, just because we like messing with the Cahoons, Cahoons, uh, second president of the United States. You remember him off the top of your head?
0: <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> I no first, worries, man. I remember the first. That's about it.
1: Uh, most people do. You, the drop off is uh, substantial. It's one of those things where you think you know it, and then it's like uh, having to do the uh, alphabet backwards. You're like, I f- Oh shit. Um, uh,
0: wait, 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 wait. Is it? Please, like, please be serious with me. Is it John something? is it
1: Correct all right we'll give you the John the John's there.
0: it is John okay so wait John is Doe oh, okay, <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> uh, we're Can't off the hot of seat cake. brothers uh, John Adams, one of the uh, the great founding fathers will become the second president of the United States. So uh, this is kind of a thing that I, I think gets covered later on in the, the mini series they did on him on HBO, right? Dad, they talk about it a
2: little bit. A little bit, yeah. He was uh, certainly uh, large in, in and in charge and involvement with a lot of different things, uh, pre Revolutionary War, during the Revolutionary War, and certainly post Revolutionary War. I mean, if you're the second, the second guy to be named president, he was in the running for for being our first president, but. Uh, didn't quite pull the same electoral count that uh, old George Washington pulled. So, but he, he came in second to George Washington and as far as the presidential election,
1: Hey, no shame in losing to uh, the goat. You know what right. I
2: mean? Right. If you got to lose to George Washington, uh, that's uh, no shame in that.
1: Well, uh, he's out of the, uh, the office now he's left. He's literally given America back to America, which is such an amazing thing because they, they pretty much tried to make him King Washington and, um, He says, no, I don't think that's a great idea. I also don't like this uh, party thing. And as the great Colin Quinn says, what they tell us to do about it? Nothing. They just said it's not a good idea to have political parties and left. (laughs) You guys will figure it out. Yeah. Adams is uh, the second president of the United States. He is going to fall in line with a party known as the Federalists. And uh, the Federalists are opposed to the third president, the future third president of the United States, Thomas Jefferson. He's kind of the head or the intellectual uh, think tank of the Democratic Republicans. For the ease and simplification of this podcast, because again, it's not a political show. Um, We're going to dumb it down to this for the story today. When you hear the term Democratic Republicans, that's going to mean they're typically pro-French, okay? And the Federalists are going to be pro-England. That's kind of the way to break that. Is that fair to say,
2: Dad? Yeah, that's fair to say. And again, uh, George Washington, one of his final... uh, uh, little hints was hey, let's not get involved with all political parties because that's just going to be divisive to the nation. So his parting suggestion was don't don't have various political parties here. Let's try to make this all for one and one for all type of a thing. But it, the different political opinions or philosophies, if you will, quickly, uh, quickly go to shit with that. And uh, yeah, for the most part, the Democratic Republicans led by Thomas Jefferson are more to um supporting the French because at this particular point in time now too, uh Francis <laughs> Francis is really up shit's Creek with all kinds of uh, um revolutions of their own. We have the 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 French Revolution uh, heating up hot and heavy right now too. So there are people that are leaning more towards a French way of thinking within there the Democratic Republicans and then uh the Federalists are more of a what we used to know as uh, british or england
1: well so, to quote uh, braveheart uh, one of the uh, the handmaidens to uh, the princess said uh, englishmen do not know what a tongue is for <laughs> and uh, that that could have a certain impact on why oh yeah, france is great let me tell you wild politics but the nightlife my god
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the red light district is great <laughs>
1: Well, uh, so again, when you guys hear the terms, democratic Republicans think pro French, the federalist pro British. So John Adams president, he's a federalist. He's going to be more pro British. Like let's mimic. And uh, by the way, we did steal 90% of America's shit is stuff we stole from England. So, um, but after the revolution is won, the U S is going to have to live up to this agreement. They took part in with France in 1778 called the treaty of Alliance. And, uh, one part of this treaty, which had been agreed upon, uh, in part by the French king, Louis Sixteenth, you know, Marie Antoinette's husband. I don't know if you guys know that, but it's not a great story. It doesn't end well. Um, more on that here in a second. But the French were owed a large amount of money by the United States. And in addition to that, the U.S. was tasked with, in part of this treaty of alliance, uh, defending French ships and French colonies that would be attacked by the British. Lawrence Patrick, use the mute button. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, so wait,
1: I hear Professor now, Burke is moving his you know files around in the background.
2: You're the only person in America that heard that, and now that you <laughs> made it, now everybody's listening for it. So <laughs> screw you.
0: You fed the gremlin after midnight, KP. That was mean.
1: It could be on that one. It's uh, I've too good of an ear, I suppose. But uh, the U.S. is, like I said, they're going to have to defend some of these French ships now from what's going on in this whole privateering business, which is essentially legal pirating. Uh, privateers would be given letters of Mark, which would be uh, a, a thing where they're pretty much saying like, hey, we're pirating, but we're pirating on behalf of a government. So this government is formally recognizing us stealing your car. That's essentially what the, the bottom line is on that okay. one. And you can go to salvage courts and actually, as long as you have these letters of Mark, then you can make a successful living as a
2: pirate. That's the only yeah. way to do it. A, a pirate you're is a, illegal. You're a life stealing. It's You're a legal pirate. You're a legal pirate, right? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, there's a bit of a wild beef going uh, down right around this time that is loosely called the War of the First Coalition. And it's a bit of a world war in that it sees all the major European powers attacking one another's ships and colonies. Only big problem for the Americans is that in their haste to get France and their navy on their side in order to defeat the British, they neglected to put an expiration date on the agreement and were forced to honor the agreement with France in order to defend those colonies and create further tensions with England while France was going through some very dire straits herself. So imagine you're like, oh, by the way, uh, does that contract ever expire? Oh, you guys you guys wanted that to expire. We can't do that. Man. No,
2: that goes on forever. So- that goes on forever. And let's face it. I mean, if it had not been for France's aid, we never would have uh, been successful with the American Revolution. So, you know, we are beholden to them because even at the 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 final conclusive battle of the american revolution which was yorktown that never would have happened had it not been for the british fleet to bottle up the british forces at yorktown and eventually brought us victory and the other major victory that we had during a revolutionary war was at saratoga and uh you know there was there was um estimates that uh, over half of the men Fighting for the U.S. at Saratoga were being supplied with uh, French armament and gunpowder, which was a which was a huge thing. So without the French aid, we never would have been successful in defeating uh, uh, defeating the British or winning our independence. However you want however you want to play that.
1: Oh, it was absolutely necessary to do so. The problem is, like we said, we signed an open ended contract. We're like, ah, hey, we'll figure out the details later on. Why don't you guys just bring your navy over here? Um, right. So. Uh, unfortunately, by not putting an expiration date on that, we're kind of stuck in this weird spot right now, especially with you sign a deal. All right. It, the, you see it in uh, baseball all the time, too, is that someone came in and like, well, I was told I, I signed with this organization because I wanted to play with so and so or I wanted to have so and so as my manager. Then you fire that manager. Well, I should be able to void my contract now. That kind of a thing. So France itself is about to have a change in management, Dad.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it didn't go well. Well,
1: the French Revolution is in full swing, a nefarious intellect by the name of Maximilian Robespierre, who's one of the most fascinating people I've ever read about in my life. Uh, Just mind-blowing, that whole story. But uh, he's at the helm. He's uh, an intellectual guy, and they're trying to have an intellectual revolution here where they're challenging the idea of monarchy and all that other good stuff. Uh, And unfortunately, uh, it gets away from them a little bit. Dad, uh, France winds (laughs) up, they capture and imprison uh, King Louis and his son and uh, Marie Antoinette. And uh, all of them are going to wind up uh, being killed by the revolution in the name of liberty. So it's not quite the uh, uh, it's not quite Washington riding around on the horse at Valley Forge. This is a little bit of a holy fuck. The mob has gone wild.
2: Yeah. And this is. This is uh, also now that we're not dealing with uh, Louis the uh, the sixteenth, King Louis the sixteenth of France, who was the guy that we dealt with during the American Revolution. And at the time of the American Revolution, when we first went over there begging for uh, men, materials, and and ships, you know, give us a couple women too. We hear some interesting things. Give us give us the stuff, and we'll pay you later because we have no money to pay you now. So we're we're just paying it on uh, on. Air credit, really, um, but we're now dealing with the new French Republic, which is really, uh, really screwed up. So a Republican name only, one might say. Right, right, exactly. the The French Republic is really being driven by uh, an outfit known as the Directory. Now, the Directory are five. Uh, it's a five member committee of this uh, French Republic, uh, and Robespierre is one of the the main. The main uh, main characters of that whole deciding five.
1: Side note for 20 seconds or less. Robespierre, eventually uh, he's ordering so many people to be beheaded. King Louis, the 16th included, as well as Marie Antoinette, that um, they read out their crimes. They behead them. It's kind of a kangaroo court thing. Very, very ugly scene going on over there. Uh, it's all part of this thing known as the reign of terror, which is not exactly. Again, we're trying to compare the American Revolution to the French Revolution. The American Revolution, in a couple of years, they actually have a pretty good thing going back with. i like, hey, you know, so we split up. It wasn't it wasn't it was an us thing. You know what I mean? It, just, it wasn't working anymore, but we still like you. And in France, they're like, we've beheaded the monarchy and we're eating their souls. So
0: <laughs> and anybody who disagrees
2: wild. with us, we're going to behead you, too. So uh, don't say any bad things about the new republic or you're going to be getting the, uh, the national razor or the guillotine. That's the best part. We talked about
0: national razor. No, no joke. That's what
1: they called it. (laughs) it. So the best part of that whole thing is that Maximilian Robespierre, uh, he winds up almost like Senator Joe McCarthy, which a little, you know, go check that out. I just put that one up on the YouTube, folks, if you want to hear it. Um, But McCarthyism and Robespierre have one thing in common where Robespierre finally came out. He goes, I have a list of names of people who are against the uh, new French Republic, and I will make those names public. And he was trying to do that by their "Well, I mean, Robespierre knows who all the snakes are, so we can't kill him. But then enough people are like, hey, Robespierre has been getting a lot of people killed with shaky evidence. So we're just going to kill Robespierre. And he himself faces the national razor. So a uh, pretty wild story with all that thing. But again, you publicly execute Louis XVI. The Jacobins are in power here. This whole reign of terror thing's going on. And the new provisional government agreed because uh, the U.S., they really didn't want to this agreement was in place with the King. All right. And now you've just, the King, I'm not shitting around guys. All right. The fucking King's head just rolled around in the streets. They just watched it leave his body. Hey, so our agreement, uh, we're not going to be like renewing that. You guys are cool with it. And believe it or not, France was actually okay. They said, uh, we'll we understand that you're no longer going to we're not going to hold you to the commitments of a contract signed with a monarch we just deposed. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of break that thing here. But we want you guys to consider us uh, neutral. Consider yourself neutral uh, moving forward with you know affairs between France and England and whatnot. So what they're trying to say, this is a whole big crazy thing here, is that uh, the U.S. would allow French ships to operate in American ports, which are extremely lucrative at this time. And allow for their privateers, the again, the legal pirates, uh, the legal French pirates, to sell captured British ships to American companies kind of via claims court. So we want legal piracy for France against England. You guys are going to honor that, right? And America's like, cool, man. Thanks for letting us out of the deal. We really appreciate it. Um, another major factor around this time that was going to lead to some concern, you know, talk about uh, something, an ugly thing that rears its head in American history almost perennially, is... Uh, France had just – one of the cool things they did with the revolution was they abolished slavery almost immediately. And a lot of the reasons they were doing that was also for uh, – um, what's it called? Indentured servitude was huge for uh, for the French culture. Um, so they got rid of that. They got rid of slaves, all that other stuff. And now, uh people in America, the northerners up in America are like, "Well, shit, we've been trying to get you know the slavery ended here since the start of the country, and down south they're like, "Well, we're not quite sure we want to go ahead and just jump on that just yet. You know we're making a lot of money down here, <laughs> and uh so the South is not really supporting uh this idea of of following in Francis uh you know footsteps, if you will, and again, they were also the ones that fought it uh in the country's inception to begin with, the biggest problem though is that France seemed to think that the U.S. understood that this idea of neutrality that they were going to have, where the French are allowed to come into the ports and the privateers can sell British ships, yeah, that deal is supposed to be a one-way road. And America, America is always good at making a buck. That is one thing you can never take away from the American uh, history books, is that there's always somebody figuring out a way to make a buck or a Dogecoin, All right, if you want to make it modern. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it... They thought France is like, this will only benefit us. And no, not the case here. All right. They're going to allow the British to be doing the same thing. And France is getting a little bit nervous about that because France is uh, noticing that England is now having the same port access and privileges without England having to give the same level of aid to the United States that France did. Like, hey, we backed your ass on that thing, man. Now you're going to kind of just flirt with the enemy like this. So uh, this is going to become undeniable when the United States, Lawrence Patrick Burke, shuffle your papers. All right. Clean your glasses off. Get ready. Comb your mustache, sir. Okay. It's it's shining time. All right. <laughs> the U.S. is about to. Uh, well, the U.S. has already signed something known as the Jay Treaty. And Lawrence Patrick Burke in five minutes or less. What is the Jay Treaty?
2: Uh, the Jay Treaty is just another piece of legislation that uh, was negotiated uh, this time with the British. Um by this point in time, England and France are at war again. Um, They're they're duking it out. Um, There's no misconception about that. And even at the from the close of the American Revolution, uh, things weren't totally solidified just yet, too, because that was that was at the Treaty of Paris that really kind of ended the American Revolution. The Treaty of Paris was in 1783 and there was still some uh, issues that needed to be ironed out and um one of the uh one of the things that had to be ironed out was uh british exports were flooding u.s markets and at the meantime or at the same time american exports were being blocked by the british from by either by restrictions or by tariffs for going into english ports. so it was a one-way street kind of a thing that britain was getting the best out of that deal uh, there was also a lot of uh, northern forts that were, you know on paper declared part of the United States, yet there were still British occupied forts in those territories in the Northwestern territories, kind of like Detroit, <laughs> that that whole area, um, that they weren't vacating what is now the United States uh, property. There were still arguments over exactly where the boundary is between uh, Maine, and canada so there's a lot of different issues um the northern forts are one uh the british are still supplying the native american population with uh weapons because uh they're being hostile to the american colonists and that didn't sit too well with the americans that uh, the british are supplying the guys that are coming in and raiding our our, our frontier settlements and a real biggie is impressments. And seizure of uh, merchant ships and goods. That the British are seizing American ships, merchant ships, and anybody that is on on board as staff. Well, congratulations! You're now part of the British Navy. You're now a, a British merchantman. And uh, you know, so they were pressing them into you know, indentured servitude or whatever. I mean, where else are you going to go once you're on that ship? There's no other place to go. They're stealing their cargo. They're stealing their ships. Um, And that didn't sit too well. So um, this guy, Jay, who was actually um, the uh, Supreme Court, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, who was appointed by George Washington. So he's got some pretty good creds himself. He was part of this whole Treaty of Paris. He's now sent over to see if he can't negotiate with the British to come up with some kind of a settlement with that. Uh, they didn't have he didn't have a whole lot of bargaining chips going on there because America was pretty freaking lucky just to get get out of the American Revolutionary War. Many people feel that the only reason the British signed that Treaty of Paris is because they figured, well, it's it's cheaper to just to have them as a market as opposed to British subjects. Uh, they're still going to be buying our shit. Um, and it's it's cheaper to have them as a uh, a place to sell our goods as opposed to trying to fight them. Yeah. Um, so that that didn't go real well. But but Jay goes over there. He's got no real bargaining chips, anything that he did have. Uh, he was going to go over there and say, hey, listen, if you guys don't respect our neutrality, we're going to team up with the Danish and the Swedish contingents or nations uh, who are also professing uh, neutrality. Uh, but uh, Alexander Hamilton kind of tips his hand and lets the British know on a sidebar conversation that uh, that's all bullshit because uh, uh, we're, we have no intentions of doing that. So anyhow, he comes back with this really weak treaty that was really favorable for the British and not so much for the for the uh, Americans. Uh, he comes back. The, the British sign that sucker right away. Um, the King George III signed the Jay Treaty, which eventually became known as the Jay Treaty. So this guy Jay goes over there, works out as uh, as good a deal as he possibly could. King George signs it right away. Congress debates it back and forth for almost a year, um, and it needs to be passed by a, a two-thirds majority uh, in Congress uh and then there's all kinds of political intrigue people the, the populace of the united states is in an uproar over over this whole thing that you know jay has given away the store that uh, the americans were coming away with virtually nothing as compared to what the british were coming away with uh jay effigies are being burnt that, that there was one comment that uh, you could light the way at night from <laughs> from one end of the colonies to the other by the light of uh, burning effigies of Jay, that this, this guy was hated at this point for selling out to the British. But uh, eventually Congress threw a lot of political wrangling back and forth. And this is really where the whole uh, Democratic Republicans and the Federalists are at odds with one another. That one side is pro-British, the other side is pro-French. Uh, they're back and forth. And finally, the thing is signed by exactly a two-thirds majority it, the vote came to 24 and 10 against and then four days later GW puts his signature on the thing that to officially endorse this treaty dad is it uh, true
1: that uh, George Washington used uh, he used to stamp formal documents with the head of his penis so he knew everyone it was business <laughs>
2: that's right that way he can be identified later on with uh, by uh, the uh, the signature, the order, the order, the uh, autograph seekers, That hey, that's the hand that held the hand that, <laughs> the of George Washington. Shake the hand that shook the hand of George Washington. Oh if you guys um, think
1: that's an erroneous dick joke, by the way, just look at all the monuments to the guy. They were sending a message. Sorry yeah, to interrupt. It's,
2: it's phallic. But finally, GW does sign it, and GW really didn't want to sign that thing, but he knew what was gonna uh occur if he if they didn't sign it. they didn't come to some kind of an agreement with the uh, British to appease them for siding with the French um so it was really kind of a a half hearted endorsement but uh uh G dubbs was uh, all about not going back to war again with the British because he knew that we we have no navy, we have no army. We're going to get our asses kicked. And and France is too busy fighting uh, the rest of the world at that point with the new French Republic. So, uh, uh, you know, he he had no other choice, really, but to to sign this damn thing. And he was being coerced by Jay himself and by John Adams and everybody else to hey sign this thing. At least it'll keep the peace for a while. So that's the Jay Treaty. I'm
1: impressed, dude. That was first of all, side note, the people who are just. Listening to the episode, there's not going to be any visuals here. So you guys are missing out on how handsome my dad looks with his reading glasses on.
2: <laughs> yeah, we have a, a contact lens issue tonight, so uh, we had to go with the glasses.
1: Yeah, a couple of people from uh, Zach Amico's uh, spook show were uh, quite fond of the way you looked at. And I don't know what gender they were because Zach hangs out with some weird people.
2: Hey, uh-huh. a fan is a fan. <laughs> <Can I say? laughs> we'll take it. Become a uh-huh. Patreon listener. I'll like you even more. Hey, hey, that's how you know what. Uh, that's how we'll we'll start marketing
1: that way. I think.
0: There you go.
1: <laughs> oh, also, hey, Dad, Jackie Byrne just joined the Patreon. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, no, that was the uh, v- excellent uh, synopsis of the Jay Treaty here. But by signing the Jay Treaty, America is kind of playing the role of a girl with uh, two love interests. One in France, and one is her ex, England. Uh, France and her getting along just great. They're learning about one another. They're making plans for the future. And now America just signed the J Treaty, which is the political equivalent of putting up an Instagram post with your ex, England. All right? So you're sitting there hanging out with a girl, and then just somebody's like, oh, it's just meant to be, you know, back where I belong. Here's me and my ex on uh, Thanksgiving or something like that. And France is sitting there like, whoa, what, what the fuck's going on here? America, you're making money hand over fist. Off of these ports that you know our ships are frequenting, why are you not paying us back? And also, uh, why are the uh, why are you guys picking a side when we're both paying cash? And the guy that signed the deal with all those years ago, uh, you know, France and America having this agreement, you know, we just chopped his head off. Imagine what we could do to you. All right. We chopped our own king's head off despite ourselves. And uh, we're a little bit upset with you right now, America. And France is going to make their move to let America know that they saw their Instagram story. All right. We caught you lying. And uh, your OnlyFans bill came in the mail. It's time to pay. All right. And uh, they're not too pleased. They unleash their privateers to wreak havoc on the American merchant ships and ports. And in the span of just 10 months, the French Navy had captured 6% of the American merchant fleet and cost the United States. This is back then money too, Cahoon, so I won't even imagine what it is adjusted for inflation. Over $15 million in losses and damages.
0: Holy crap.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's going to piss off the Americans.
0: See, that's what happens when you don't pay for your OnlyFans without (laughs) PayPal.
2: Yeah, and this is this is also uh, back then money and the United States is not real flush with money either. I mean that you know wars are expensive whether you're fighting your Revolutionary War or whatever war wars are expensive and so they're really in the shitter too with at, at this particular time financially. So uh, they're not looking to have uh, some pirates um, taking on. I mean, that was also another one of the. Um, things that came out of this whole agreement, whether it was the Treaty of Paris or the Jay Treaty or whatever. Prior to this, American merchant ships were being protected from the pirates by the British Navy. Um, But once America won its independence from Britain, that deal is off. They're not going to risk the Royal Navy uh, fighting the Barbary pirates, which were also uh, uh, around this time. So Loserception. Well, Check loser, out
1: that episode.
2: Yeah. reception there for sure. So, um, you know, the international scene is just crazy with uh, uh, all these people involved here. And then you got the, the Barbary pirates looking to have uh, their VIG put into the whole merchant, uh, merchant shipping. Um, but we used to be able to benefit from the Royal Navy and that's not happening anymore. And we really have no Navy. So, What are you going to do?
1: Interesting you should say that, sir. Um, Yeah, uh, when America's angry, they typically send in the Marines. Only thing is there really isn't a a, a Navy per se for the U.S. to utilize against their newfound enemy here. Uh, Somewhat ironically, the pro-French Democratic Republicans, again, Tommy Jeff's boys, they were uh, openly against the United States having too many federal government institutions. They weren't big on uh, a very strong central government. They were like, oh, let's kind of do a a laissez faire type of thing. And maybe this state does that. That state does this. You know, they were kind of doing like a city state thing where they're like, oh, yeah, we'll have like the South will be Sparta. And uh, then everyone else can be Athens and that kind of a thing. And uh, unfortunately, again, ironically, the pro-French Democratic Republicans uh, who this is kind of going to blow up in their face here. One of the institutions they did not want was a standing U.S. Navy. So they had kind of sold off a lot of their ships at the end of the American revolution. They're saying, eh, we're not really going to need that anymore. Yeah, man. Don't uh, what's the the quote, dad? Don't count your chickens before they hatch.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much it that, uh, you know, a bill of money isn't had until it's cash in hand. Right. So uh, <laughs> it's, we've got no way of backing that up. So, um, you know, when here, the, here's a not, good one for you, dad. This will huh. be a
1: great uh, uh, equivalency here for you um america said i don't need four-wheel drive pickup trucks i'm living in florida now i just bought
2: a house here we're in <laughs> <Yeah>. love right <laughs> and I, i'm gonna spend the rest of my life in sunny florida right still driving that fucking two-wheel drive pickup truck but um and anyway. that work out for you this past uh, this past winter with the uh, abnormally high snow snow count. I did not leave the
1: house. It was a pandemic, sir. All right. You just had to walk around screaming, listening to the music of The Shining playing in the background. There you go. Um, But again, the Democratic Republicans, they don't want federal institutions. Again, the Navy being included here. All they had. And again, LP, prepare to shine, sir. Prepare to shine. All right. We'll give it a go. All they had was a small group of ships known as the United States Revenue Cutter Service. Kahuna, before my father illuminates us. Any idea what the United States Revenue Cutter Service would be?
0: Uh, not, not even an inkling, to be honest with you. I've never even heard this term.
1: Because it sounds like it's going to be the IRS. Uh-
2: I'm I'm already hiding. (laughs) (laughs) There he goes. There he goes. Well, that's the last we'll hear from him.
1: Yeah, you have the the Revenue Service with the IRS, and then uh, you have the United States Revenue Cutter Service. Dad, what the hell is that?
2: Well, I'm here from the government, and I'm here to help you, right? Well, run and make sure you're holding your wallet as you're running. Now, at the conclusion of the American Revolutionary War, um, there was a big fear that, you know, somebody in the military was going to uh elevate themselves to become the the uh the emperor or the king or whatever and we just fought a war to get rid of a king and we weren't looking for another one so there was very strong opinions about not going with that federalist idea of a strong central government so let's disband the army and let's disband the navy so we had nothing and even the Navy that we did have during the Revolutionary War was a pittance compared to what um, good word pittance You like yeah. that? Huh? All right. I don't think well, I ever heard that one. All right. Just very small, very small. Uh, and then it was disbanded. And really what the Navy that we did have, a lot of that was was privateers. Somebody somebody's ship's captain was saying, hey, you know what? If you fight for us, you can you can keep um, the spoils of whatever you capture. Um, So you can make a few bucks. So that privateer or pirating was uh, long embedded in the uh, an American culture and worldwide culture, for that matter. But uh, so now the American Revolution is over, and we're starting to create this new country. And we got a guy by the name of Alexander Hamilton. You might have heard of him, or you might have seen his face on a on a ten dollar bill. I got a couple uh, of his albums. You got a couple of his albums. All right. He's uh, he's made the first secretary of the treasury, and kind of a treasury that didn't exist. So how are we going to raise some money? How are we going to bring some bucks into this whole new formed government? Well, we're going to uh, create tariffs. We're going to have some taxes and tariffs, and we're going to protect against uh, smuggling which was uh, the mainstay of uh, of American life prior to this. And now all of a sudden, Alexander Hamilton saying, uh, no, you can't do that anymore. No, no more smuggling, no more pirating. Um, we're going to be all above board and uh, on the correct side of the law. And otherwise, we're going to do what to you? Uh, oh, shit. We've got no way of backing that up. So we can make, we can enact the law, but you got no teeth to uh, to to back it up, to enforce it. So um, he cre- he suggests the creation of the Revenue Cutter Service, and this is like in October of 1789. So this is all in and around that same time frame um, with this quasi war. Um, but what they were what was he was looking for is for Congress to appropriate funds to build ships to protect against pirating and uh, smuggling. So they agreed to, um, build a total of 10 ships, but they had to be done on the cheap. Um, and these 10 ships were supposed to, um, patrol the Eastern seaboard. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty tall order for 10 ships to cover from, uh, from Georgia all the way up to Maine, like, holy crap, you know, there's no way. But again, at least it's a start. So, um, this, revenue cutter service was really to protect against smuggling and, and uh um, pirating and that was formed actually in 1789 and kev being a uh, a navy guy uh nope not nope. admitting it not admitting not, it, not admitting it. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: when, when
2: was uh, when was the continental navy uh had, that had been disbanded so the revolutionary war navy was disbanded when was the united states navy officially formed
1: officially formed is what Uh, i think that's uh because they always celebrate the navy birthday
2: yeah that'd be the navy birthday so
1: it's 1775 it's a year before the country yeah year before the declaration of independence
2: No, we're not talking john paul jones and all those guys we're talking that because that navy was disbanded at the conclusion of the revolutionary war so the official united states navy wasn't formed until 1794 So this Revenue Cutter Service has got, uh, what, five years on the Navy. So the Revenue Cutter Service was formed five years prior. Oh, Kahuna's Um,
1: about to get so happy when you reveal this. Five years
2: prior to the Navy. That uh, United States Revenue Cutter Service was then co-mingled in with the Lifeguard Saving Stations, which was another group that was formed along the coast to save people from shipwrecks and that kind of stuff. And that whole thing again, later on was melded into what we would now call the United States coast guard. So the coast guard, that, <laughs> what you guys
1: kahuna just fainted <laughs> out
0: of the screen.
2: <laughs> kahuna just, we just lost the kahuna. Um, yeah, that, uh, they were actually formed before the United States Navy was officially formed. And, uh, The shallow water Navy, as you guys in the Navy call them, were actually pirates. (laughs) Puddle pirates. Puddle pirates. (laughs) Well, these ships, these uh, shout out these revenue cutter service, why the cutter service? Well, the type of ship was the cutters, which was a shallow draft. It it could sail into shallow waters going after these after the bad guys. And uh, even today, we still have United States Coast Guard cutters patrolling our waters, protecting against smuggling. And, and uh, you know, right now they're more a drug intervention than than anything else. But uh, the cutter, the cutter service has a, a long and a storied history. And as we're leading up into this, their first real war, they would join forces with the United States Navy um, to, to fight the to fight the battles on the sea.
1: We've—I uh, I knew that one was going to be a, a fun one here for you. And again, uh, uh, nothing but respect for any friends of mine that are in the Coast Guard. I wish that I had—I yeah, would have had a great time in the Coast Guard. I went into the Navy because I answered some questions differently. You guys know the story by now if you're a regular listener. But um, Adams will consider himself an Englishman throughout his life. John Adams, the President of the United States, still considers himself an Englishman until the idea of America is truly a thing, right? And then he becomes, well, we're going to be Americans now because we're over here, but we're—we're we're based off of, where the descendants of the English. So he doesn't have any ill will towards the French, uh, and has hopes that he can hash this whole little, you know, uh, schism, if you will, amicably. So he's going to send over three men. One of them is lose reception, Elbridge Jerry. Go check that episode out. It was, uh, that's how we happened upon a little deeper research into this very topic. But Jerry and the two other men were approached by corrupt French bureaucrats, who subjected them to bribery in order to begin the negotiations or continue the negotiations. The men who approached the Americans were identified as uh, X, Y, and Z. So this will become known as the uh, X, Y, Z affair. Oh. And, true story, man. And it's going to result in Elbridge Jerry, one of the diplomats being sent overseas. He is being threatened by a guy by the name of Talleyrand, who, as my father uh, showed us, that's known as like a, a, a sleazy kind of a, a dirtbag dude, you know, uh, gun in the hand, like, hey, why don't you come over here for a second, buddy, kind of a dude. A self-serving politico oof perfect um and uh he will himself threaten elbridge jerry as elbridge jerry's trying to get back to america now with the other two diplomats he goes hey mr jerry if you leave uh i'm going to make france declare open war on you and so we're not talking about quasi war we're talking about open war so real war yeah yeah it's a tough one man yeah Um, and france
2: at that time is like they're just in a shitstorm. they're they're fighting they're picking fights with everybody um and they're also trying to side up with it, with other people, too. I mean, Spain and France are kind of creating a whole buddy-buddy kind of a thing. That, that goes all the way back to the Treaty of Paris. That you uh, see, de- they're
1: both Catholic, Lawrence.
2: They're both yeah, Catholic and they, countries. And they had to be uh, separate negotiations, even going back to the, to the Treaty of Paris at the conclusion of the American Revolution that England had to, first negotiate with the Americans and then with the French and then with the Spanish and Spain wanted Gibraltar and with that, the British will hold. So there's, there's worldwide political intrigue here uh, with this whole shit storm that's going on in France.
1: Oh, the hostilities are bubbling over at this point. Um, it is June of 1798. The U S has already suspended repayments of their loans uh, to France and began with very popular support, creating what will become known as the world's finest Navy. So fun little uh, note here. Adams will name Benjamin Stoddart as the first secretary of the Navy. This is the first time the official title will be used. The title prior to that was uh, known as the agent of Marine. And that role was played by Robert Morris. Loserception shout out Lynette Palladino. There you go. So she was on HBO uh, doing a a comedy special over the pandemic, too, guys. Uh, Check her out. She's very funny, as is my buddy James Mack. I think they're both in the same episode. I can't remember. Anyway, July 1798, the U.S. has approved the use of force against French ships to protect American interests. Ships will take a long time to build, though. And uh, combined with some issues involving the Barbary pirates, as we mentioned, the U.S. was going to need to be able to protect its assets overseas and its ships and sailors uh, there is mass imprisonment, and the forced service of American sailors will later play a major role in the War of 1812. And, guys, if you want to know anything about that, Dad, do we have a Patreon for them?
2: Yeah, we spent a little time on the War of 1812. A
1: two-parter, <laughs> a, 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 at least a week's worth of research. We wrote a book, all right? Go check out Patreon. <laughs> the original six frigates of the United States Navy are... The USS United States, the USS Constellation, the USS Christian Cordes, the USS Chesapeake, the USS Congress, the USS President, and the soon-to-be infamous big swinging dick of the saltwater world, the (laughs) reckoning of Davy Jones' locker, the still-floating USS Constitution. So old Ironsides, baby. That's the legit boat right there. Um, Pretty cool. And a pretty strong argument for the benefits of uh, of a federal government here. If you want to talk about the the navy thing, the government will take some of your tax money that you're paying them, so that they can build something to protect you from other countries, which is not a bad trade off. Of course, there has to be a caveat, though, right, Dad? Uh, if you want to talk about the idea of uh, having a government in charge of your economy versus, you know, uh, maybe an individual here, uh, going to be an interesting thing coming around the idea of these federally commissioned ships is cool. There's also going to be something known as subscription ships. Okay. And uh, not a only fan subscription as we keep uh, pounding that joke into the ground. <laughs> um, but these are going to be sent uh, sometimes by cities so that a city will get together and be like, Hey, we want to be represented in this uh, the defense of the nation. So uh, again, the, Eatontown, New Jersey, we'll all get together and uh, they'll they'll commission a ship kind of a thing or a couple of wealthy, you know, Mike and Ming could have you know used some of their money from comic book men to create their own ship to fight in this uh, quasi war over here,
2: especially if there was a cargo ship holding whole kinds of comic books or, uh, you know, that'd be a a plum prize for them to capture. So let's uh, let's go uh, fund somebody to. Build a ship. Can yeah, you I mean,
1: picture Zapsic crying as a, a ship had with like the original <laughs> Green Lantern is on it is going down in the ocean and Zapsic being held back by Ming? <laughs> oh
0: yeah, it's not worth it, man. It's not worth it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you were saying LP? No, there was just you know any any major city that had a strong merchant class and the major cities at that time were all along the eastern seaboard. So your Boston, your Charlestons, your Philadelphias, uh, they all had. Um, good reason to protect their uh, merchant fleet. Atlantic so, City,
1: Belmar, better, <laughs> you know, Jersey.
2: Yeah, uh, you might as well uh, fund somebody to go out there and protect your interest, or even capture some prizes, uh, because uh, you know the rules of the the rules of the world at that point is that if you capture a ship, you could bring it into uh, uh, a friendly port and, and sell uh, sell off the goods for you know substantial bucks. Well,
1: uh, one such ship will
2: be the USS
1: Philadelphia, which the good people of Philadelphia came together. They saved up all their money from – actually, they tried to pay in camel cash. I don't know if you knew that one, Dad. Uh Um, But, uh, yeah, they uh, they saved up all their Marlboro miles and got themselves a ship, a sloop of war, the USS Philadelphia, which would be captained by the absolute – this guy is American badass. You want to talk about a guy right here, all right? Go check out that Barbary Pirates episode if you want to know some of the wildest shit he did. We're only going to cover a brief part of it. Steven, American Badass Decatur. OK, this guy's he's fucking nuts. That's the bottom line.
2: Yeah, <laughs> but he's our nut and we love him for. <laughs> <it> is. <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, he is crazy for a casting couch. I would love to see. Uh, I mean, it has to be somebody through the roof, balls to yeah. the wall crazy.
2: He was also a major topic for a book that uh, was written by one of our presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, about the exploits of uh, Mister. Stephen Decatur. So that uh, he was he was absolutely a badass on on the on the sea. Which is why he needs to be played
1: by Kurt Russell. Okay. <laughs> uh, another famous sloop would be the USS Boston, which the USS Boston extremely successful. That will capture some eighty French ships during this quasi war here. But uh, the French, they have a pretty solid Navy, despite their financial troubles. I mean, that's the problem, too. Like, hey, you're the head of the Navy. Ooh, we just cut his head off. Hey, that rolling head down, the- tell him he's the head of the Navy now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, due to England's superior Royal Navy, which is why we borrowed all of our uh, the American Navy ideas from the, Eng- you know, the English, because they really had the best thing going, um, the French couldn't afford to send their fleet to uh, commit raids on the continental United States. So uh, because they had a fear that englands if we send our ships over there, English is going to come right in and just seize up France. I mean, they have, that's a lover's quarrel, France and England. They are really, um, it's nonstop, the two of them.
2: And they're next door neighbors too. So, I mean, it's just throwing shit over the fence here, really, uh, um, back home. So you're not going to come to the other side of the world to pick a fight. You You can just go across the English Channel to pick a fight, so. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, they have interests all over the world, especially in the Caribbean, where a lot of this uh, stuff took place. And again, this is an undeclared war. This is just to protect our, uh, our merchant interests. Uh, and we're sending the, uh, the Revenue Cutter Service, aka the Coast Guard. Um, and then, you know, the Congress does finally agree to hey, we need ships to be built. But in the meantime, they're just taking a lot of the merchant ships that were already built and refitting them to become, um, you know, warships type of thing. So that's where a lot of these uh, cities that were sending out their own naval force, if you will, um, got their got their go ahead. Because you know it, it takes a long time to build a build a ship, so it's like, oh yeah, you 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 just wait three years and we'll we'll show you. Wait, wait till we get this ship built, then we're gonna kick your ass.
1: The Chris Rock bullet control bit comes to mind—one of the <laughs> yeah. greatest bits in comedy <laughs> yeah, history. Right. Um, well, well, but yeah. this quasi-war is a hot war; it's well underway. One of the most remarkable battles of this war is about to take place here in our story. Oh yeah. The, Just off the coast of a little state that might also be the center of the universe, Cahoons.
0: you got it. Are you really? Really?
1: When you find out, you're you're not super close to it, but you've definitely been down around near the area where this would take place. Where? It's in Jersey, all right? And uh, in this whole quasi-war, it's not really a war with any major battles. It's all nautical action, which makes it semi-difficult to find noteworthy moments. But this one's a damn gem. All right. (laughs) July 7th, 1798, the USS Delaware is about to pull something straight out of an action movie. And their captain at the time, Stephen Decatur, is also something straight out of an action movie himself. The U.S. merchant ship, the U.S., I'm sorry, not the USS, it's a merchant ship, a ship known as the Alexander Hamilton, had been attacked and ransacked by a French privateer ship and was barely able to make it to Great Egg Harbor off the Jersey coast down near modern A.C. and Cape May
2: area. A.C. for the listeners at home would be Atlantic City. Atlantic City.
1: (laughs)
0: Yeah.
2: The lost city of Atlantic City.
1: Oh, it's it's a fun, filthy, grimy place, but it's very fun. So, (laughs) um, Yeah. Anyway, this uh, ship, the Alexander Hamilton, is going to barely make it back into land, if you will. And uh, the USS Delaware under uh, Captain Decatur... We'll find uh, this ship in pretty rough spots. And they wind up telling me, yeah, it's, it was a French privateer ship that came after us. And what does Decatur do? He goes, oh, let's go find the bastards that did this. All right. We're going to go do that. And Decatur's out looking for a fight. And sure enough, his men spot four French ships out on the horizon. Decatur orders his men to dis- disguise. This is the greatest thing ever. Uh, disguise their ship as a sloop of war. I'm sorry, there's, ugh, I screwed that one up. This is how crazy the story is. He takes his sloop of war and then he has them disguise it to make it look like a merchant ship. So he's coming out guns blazing, but they just think like, oh, no, I'm your Uber. I'm here to pick you guys up. What are you looking yeah. for?
2: He's you chasing know. after him, but he's not he's not showing gun ports just yet. He's really looking like he's just another merchant ship that's body uh, dying out into the out into the ocean. And then the, the French spot him.
1: Well, in doing this, they get the French privateer ship known as the LaCroixable, okay? Not uh, LaCroix Seltzer, but the LaCroixable to pursue them. LaCroixable thought that it was on their way to another easy target to ransack in the name of France and benefit uh, their own pockets, right? You know what I mean? But uh, the captain of the French ship realized just as it was too late, oh, fuck, they're hunting us. We're trying to hunt them. God damn it. So uh, the captain of the ship tries to change the direction, realizing that the Delaware has tricked him. And uh, they're trying to make a, a change of course as fast as possible. But Decatur's on your ass now. All right. And hell's coming with him. So he brings his 20 gun sloop of war about and uh, a little bit of American kick ass. And after chasing down a LaCroyable and firing only a few cannon shots, the French ship surrenders. The ship was claimed by the Americans as a legal salvage. Again, keep in mind, because they're like, hey, we're Americans. We captured this French ship. And uh, so give me some money. And they go ahead and give him some money and uh, a lot of fame here. This is going to serve as a huge victory for the U.S. Navy and make Decatur a bit of a national hero. Uh, unfortunately, Decatur will die in a duel some years later. And uh, they actually banned dueling because all the good naval officers keep dying in duels. That's a true story. Yeah. Um, but he's already a national hero here. Don't worry, though. He's going to go absolutely apeshit on the Barbary Pirates in just a few years. So the LaCroixable Le- is now going to be renamed the USS Retaliation. And any one of our loser devotees will remember from our Mary Celeste episode. What is the worst thing you can do for a ship, Cahoons? Uh Rename it. Hell yeah. See, he got that one. He did. That Good stuff. Good when we give stuff. Him a horror topic. He's just like, isn't he's so engaged. That's why I love doing the show with him. <laughs> <laughs> the bad luck of course catches up with our newly renamed ship and the USS retaliation, which was once the prize possession of a, uh, one of the prize possessions of the French Navy is the LeCroyable uh, is under the command of another U S Navy hero by the name of William Bainbridge. He was born in Jersey, Princeton, New Jersey, as an English citizen, I will say. And some noise going on in the background. What the hell is that?
0: Did you guys? Can't, can't, can't blame, blame me. me?
1: <laughs> no clue. Like, is Ming coming in here? Is Ming spying on us? Ming's like our TikTok. He's, he's definitely someone's watching at the other end. But uh, sorry about the, that. Oh, uh, good, man. But the retaliation is under the command of William Bainbridge, who was born in Princeton, New Jersey, uh, as an English citizen, mind you. And is the namesake of the USS Bainbridge and also uh, the Irish section of the Bronx is known as Bainbridge. So, Really? Okay. Yeah. They're uh, Bainbridge Avenue, baby. Go hang out with the boys of black 47 up there. It's such a weird thing. You're in New York city, you're in the Bronx, you're seeing the Yankee stuff. You're seeing a lot of Spanish neighborhoods. And then all of a sudden you're like, did we pull into Dublin here? Why is everyone <laughs> Irish all of a sudden? So like a little Epcot, the Bronx is, but um, anyway, the, uh, the Lacroixville, like we said, is uh, captured uh, by the United States, and then, unfortunately, as the retaliation, is also captured back by the French, and then gets captured again towards the end of the war, back by the Americans.
2: Yeah, as so the- that one flip flopped a couple of times, back and forth. But uh, definitely, we had some uh, U.S. naval heroes coming out of all this whole quasi-war, the war that really wasn't a war. Well, that's because there wasn't a whole lot of land battles, but certainly a lot of naval battles, and made for some. Uh, Original U.S. Navy heroes. Enter Edward Preble. <laughs> uh, Preble,
1: like Decatur, would make a name for himself against France after participating in the American Re- uh, Revolution, but his greatest fame would come with the ensuing Barbary Wars. So, Preble famously once led a boarding party against the British, but he was severely undermanned. He was supposed to have like, you know, 30, 50 men, and he only got on board with like 10 or 14 or something like that. And, uh, His commander's like, do you want me to come back over, like trying to signal to him? And Preble's like, "Uh, well, let's just let's play this round with the hand we got. And he goes downstairs with two pistols in his hand and warns all the sleeping uh, men on the British sailors on the ship. Hey, uh, resistance is futile. Don't fuck with us. And they said, oh, this guy sounds like he means business. We better surrender to him. So then like the 40 to 50 person crew surrenders to 14 Americans on board because they're like, no, he sounded really confident. You know, (laughs) that's right. But, uh, yeah, by acting quickly and utilizing his will, he's uh, he's already made a name for himself here. He's going to later serve as the captain to two of the most iconic U.S. Navy ships, the USS Essex and the USS Constitution. And again, with a weird war, that's not really a war like you were saying, Dad, it gets difficult to figure out uh, who's a winner and who's a loser. But the show uh, is called American Loser. So that's kind of going to give it away. <laughs> um, the U.S. Navy is, to its credit, standing toe-to-toe with the French on the high seas. That sounds like a win, but the French are also capturing, in some reports, over 2,000 American ships. and uh, Merchant ships. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, definitely putting a
2: hurting. Yeah, it's definitely putting a hurting on our economy, that's for sure.
1: Well, luckily, Dad, there's about to be an adult in the room, and uh, unfortunately, his name is Napoleon Bonaparte. Yeah, Napoleon. The British were <laughs> helping the Americans by uh, – <laughs> the British are helping the Americans by hurting the French uh, or hurting the French by helping the Americans. However, want to play that one out. But France is now starting to come out of its political turmoil post-revolution. And Cahoons, you know it's a successful political uprising uh, mm-hmm. against a corrupt government. And you want to have a government for the people and by the people. Hey, guys, we got rid of a king. Now we have an emperor. It's a long story. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we went from king to uh French Republic to uh Emperor Napoleon. But seriously, just to try our bread. It's very good. <laughs> Have you had the croissant? Mm. <laughs> we.
0: We've got the Fre- we've got this new thing called French stores. It's delicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: man. It's uh it's weird that he is the adult in the room here on this one. It gets uh Napoleon is now firmly in power over here. And he's realizing that the efforts against the U.S. are costly and largely unfruitful. He's got bigger plans for Europe, if you know a little bit about history. Um, in 1800, a formal agreement is signed between the U.S. and France, which ends the hostilities. So that's 1800. We finally have this quasi war is now quasi over. All right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Finally. But uh, yeah, but a little bit over two years, this whole thing was going on here. And Napoleon, showing his trademark great foresight, uh, agrees to the terms of this ending of the hostilities here, as long as America will stay neutral. Okay, the key being neutral, meaning no more worrying about the U.S. having England's back in the coming Napoleonic Wars. So it was a little bit of a weird thing here, you know, because France is like, hey, we're going to back the United States against England. But then after that happens, they're, they're getting a little bit too cozy with England again here. Hey, why are you guys friends? So now we're going to go to war with you as France. And then they're sitting like, well, England's backing them up now. So it's kind of a weird thing where America's playing uh, both sides of the aisle here. And then finally, towards the end, uh, France goes, hey, so we're going to end our hostilities with you. You just stay out of our business over here in Europe, OK? And America goes, yeah, that's fine. No worries. And then boom, you got France, you got England, you got the Napoleonic Wars. You got some crazy shit going on here. We're going to somehow or other the French are going to try a land invasion in Russia. Uh, there's going to be a massive battle. It's going to have, a, a, you know, a lot of stuff going on here. There's going to be a couple couple decades of war coming on out of this one. But uh, now the quasi war is over. The British are dealing with a resurgent France under Napoleon. who's was about to give them everything they can handle and more. And the U.S. under the presidency of formerly openly pro-France Tommy Jefferson, he's starting to get a little bit nervous about this militant growth under this dictator Napoleon over in France. Maybe these aren't the uh, wine-drinking, oral sex-having philosophers that (laughs) old Tiege wanted to be hanging with. So he got so fearful of the French power growth in the U.S. that he sent over delegates to negotiate with Napoleon. And TJ Thomas Jefferson himself even said, uh, if France takes over new Orleans, we may have to marry ourselves to the British cause because keep in mind, America is still, there's Spanish parts of America. There's undiscovered parts of America. There's where the native Americans live and you just don't go there because they take your fucking head off. Um, <laughs> there's British parts of America. There's, uh, there's American parts of America. So there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. here. It's not really truly the nation that we know it as just yet. And, uh, the idea that Thomas Jefferson, who, you know, is pretty pro-French, is saying, hey, I don't really like what's uh, what I'm hearing out of the French parts of uh, our little French neighbors here in the new world. They're starting to get a little too confident. And if this Napoleon guy really decides to give us a hard time, you know, we could be up Shit's Creek without a paddle. Is that fair to say, Dad?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then, again, he's, he's trying to fight a, a worldwide uh, conquest kind of thing. Well, maybe we ought to just take it in small bites rather than let's just bite off europe first and then we'll see what happens where, where, where do we go from there but we'll take care of france uh, or france will take care of as i say europe first and a good good point kevin i mean we still have uh spanish um, acquisitions that are or spanish interests that are uh our, our next door neighbors we still still got french canadians up in uh what is now canada but uh, there's no love lost there between uh, between them and the United States. Uh, so it's uh, it's not a real good thing. And here's the United States trying to date two girls at the same time, and they happen to live right across the street from one another. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, ex- that's not an easy thing to do, you know? No,
1: not good at all on that one. But uh, it is strange because now uh, because of Jefferson, this is later on, the quasi-war is long over at this point. But uh, Tommy Jeffs is a little nervous about this and uh, he starts saying well th- there's something going on here napoleon's got this bigger picture let's make sure we're not a part of it uh in a couple of, you know if it goes napoleon's way we might be having to deal with him because he's going to own all of europe that's really where it's starting to head around uh these times and luckily between the haitian uprising which was a, uh, a very successful uprising of the haitian people against france they actually pulled off their revolution uh, you know modern uh, modern history has not been very kind to uh the the Haitian uh, nation, if you will. But uh, the French war with essentially the entire world and not wanting to violate the semi-peace agreement that they have with the U.S., Napoleon will agree to sell off France's stakes in the New World to old Tommy Jeffs. Cahoons, you know it. You know exactly what it is. What did Thomas Jefferson buy? It's a big, big
0: deal. What did Thomas... What did he buy?
1: Yep. Tommy Jeff's just bought something huge, man. You know the name immediately as soon as I say it.
2: Is it? Oh, man. So you, you have it. It's a hot sauce. Come on. It, it, it rhymes with Louisiana. Yeah,
0: it's. Fuck. <laughs> I did want to. I knew it was Louisiana, but like, I always second
2: guess myself. Well, there's a second word to that now Louisiana. Louisiana purchase. There you go. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yep. So thanks to
1: our literally thomas jefferson sitting there and saying oh we got to figure out what the hell we're gonna hey why don't i just buy you out of your end of the deal here and uh napoleon goes oh sure you guys want that i I don't know what the hell i was going to do with it anyway Uh, why don't uh, you give me money and i'll just keep going after britain and uh you know we'll figure something out from there but yeah so in closing something so forgotten as this quasi war is one of the reasons we have large amounts of the modern territory that is the united states
2: yeah i mean tj really just put feelers out to uh to france to see whether hey you guys be interested in uh, selling off some of the property uh because you know thomas jefferson was always considering uh expansion whether it was going to be into cuba or the caribbean or going further west and he just put feelers out to uh the french government and lo and behold they said yeah we'll sell you that uh how about uh, 15 million does that work like holy shit that's the that's the <laughs> the deal of a the deal of a nation that we, uh, more than double the size of the united states with uh one purchase from from france from from napoleon I like the picture, napoleon, uh, needed, napoleon needed the money i mean he needed uh he's, he's trying to fight a war and again we're going back to wars are expensive so if we could put a little cash in hand uh what the hell is he going to do with that that was just that was unknown territory for the most part other than uh other than new orleans not in you know, the end of the mississippi river everything else beyond that was virtually unknown. So he really didn't know what the hell he was selling. Jefferson didn't really know what the hell he was buying. And that's where the whole Lewis and Clark expedition came into place. That that's for said, another episode. That's for another episode. <laughs> but that's, that's, it's a good lead in that, uh, you know, let's let's send some guys out there and find out what the hell we just bought for $15 million.
1: Shit, now we know we're doing next week, sir. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, nobody says we have to be chronological order here. We jump around. No, we do. We certainly do on that one,
1: but uh looks we'll like
2: murder to... or something just to just to keep him uh, off balance. yeah, we like
1: to change it up a little bit around here. I do like to picture Thomas Jefferson, uh, you know, obviously he's not at the negotiation deal. But I like to picture him lighting a cigarette while he's talking to Napoleon. He's like, Napoleon, you're breaking my balls here. You're breaking my balls. All right. I don't even know what it looks like. How can I buy? It? I don't even know what it is. It's <laughs> but what's
0: so what's so funny? What you tell me? What is so funny about me purchasing Louisiana?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thomas Jefferson is Pesci might be. That's more brilliant than a a, a, a Hannah a, an Alexander Hamilton musical.
0: <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> uh,
1: No, it is a good one. It was a great time to be a gangster. There was John Adams, his crazy cousin from Boston. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> but no, this was a fun one, man. Uh, I had a good time on this one. Anything you guys want to say in closing as we're on our way out?
0: Um. Nothing for me, man. Always good to just sit there and listen to a little bit of history and then prove my stupidity.
1: No, dude, you get way more right than you give yourself credit for. And also, most of the listeners will sit there and be like, well, shit, I mean, I, I know that, but only because I was able to Google it. We surprise you. We catch you <laughs> off guard. <laughs> uh, someone did fact check me on the YouTube thing earlier, and I was like, and then I'm reading it, and I was like, no, that's he's fact checking some other commentator, uh, some someone else who made a comment on one of our YouTube videos. And I was sitting there, so he's going to, I'm supposed to be responsible for people's comments in the, the comment section on YouTube video. Hey, man, it's a free fucking show. All right. Buy my Patreon. I'll, I'll write you an academic. I'll give you sources. I'll write a bibliography. But you got to come to the Patreon, baby. All right.
2: Yeah. bibliographies cost extra.
1: Exactly. So show your work. Oh, show me five dollars. One, <laughs> one large cup of coffee. Show me the shekels. That's the truth. LP, anything you want to say to the people at home?
2: Uh, no, I think that's pretty cool. But uh, one one little tidbit, um, that whole um, revenue cutter service uh, that then later on became uh, the Coast Guard. Um, they had a, one of their first ships was the, the Eagle. And even today, the Coast Guard training cutter uh, is still named the Eagle. It's not the same ship, obviously, but there there is a tall a, a three masted uh, cutter um that the coast guard still uses today called the eagle so i thought that was pretty cool the history of the of the eagle was pretty fascinating but that might be something something for a later episode
1: i like it sir well this was a good one man so thank you so much to mike and ming over to shared universe podcast studio thank you to the kahuna behind the ones and twos thank you to my father for making me love history and of course thank you to anybody who listens to the show but in particular the good people over at the founding losers on patreon For the price of one large cold brew from Dunkin' Donuts, Uh, you can also become a member of the Patreon show. All that money does is guarantee that I can buy Kahuna's Love for another week as he edits our show for us. Look at him smile. Uh, It's the best. But it's been worth it. I love doing it at the studio here. It's great that way. Um, And the contributions from you guys are the reasons we're able to continue to do it in that way. So very important to us. Uh, but if you guys want to support the show in other ways, you can't really afford to throw some money out on that one. A couple of college student friends of ours that uh, are listening to the show. Also, we have a great listener over in India, and I'm going to slaughter the pronunciation of his name, but he's mad cool, all right? Sends us some cool stuff, too, about a, a couple other future potential losers we're going to check into, Dad. I think its name is Pretier or something like that. Pretier. I'm sorry, dude. All right. I'm a dumb kid from Jersey, I'm very Irish. I have, like, nine cousins named Liam. Um <laughs> but anyway, uh, that being said, if you support the show over on our Patreon, we really do appreciate you. If not, go ahead, uh, throw us a review. We'll, you know, Tell a friend about us. Confront your gay uncle. Do whatever you have to do, but just let us know. All right, guys? We really appreciate the support on this show. And guys, that being said, my name was KP Burke, and that was The Quasi War, American Loser.
0: An American Loser, the day I was born. An American Loser, the day I was born. can lose her the day I was born